Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 784 with Thomas Kelly. You know, I mean, just being on the receiving end of that is not is not going to make you feel good and not going to make you feel like you're, you know, a value part of the team, you know, or taken seriously. I mean, it fundamentally, you want to make people feel like they're collaborating with you and that they are cared for and taken care of. And and by, you know, you know, you need to speak to people with respect in order to make them feel that way. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Procter & Gamble Professional provides a wide range of cleaning and disinfectants for your business needs. Get the cleaning and disinfecting products you need and the peace of mind you deserve. Not only does Procter & Gamble Professional make you cleaner, it also makes you more efficient. Donald Professional Pot and Pan cleans 58% more pots and pans than the leading competitor. Donald Professional, it's clean upgraded. Bebot is the next generation of point of sale. That's because it's mobile, it's in your pocket, it's fast, and it's so easy for your guests to use. Not to mention it's contactless, it's branded to your restaurant, there's zero commission fees. You can use this technology through takeout, delivery, and dine-in, and it integrates with your POS. Bebot, the contactless order and pay solution powering the future of hospitality. To get your first three months free, go to www.bbot.menu slash unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And Seven Shifts is trusted by over 400,000 restaurant professionals because it gives you the tools you need to streamline labor operations, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable that's the number seven s-h-i-f-t-s dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free What's going on, Unstoppables? Before we get started, let me please remind you to support the show. There's a few ways you can do it. You can support our sponsors. When you support our sponsors, they buy more ad space. It's that simple. You can use our links. Sometimes there's affiliate links there. And uh, when you use our links, you are supporting the show. And you can share this podcast with Anybody and everybody you know who's aspiring to be great in the industry. Lastly, you can join a restaurant unstoppable network. Make sure you stick around to the end so you can hear about some of the cool events we have coming in the near weeks. So today we're talking to Thomas Kelly and he, he has a unique background working in food and marketing. Uh, his experience in the food world ranges from working at fast casuals in Boulder, Colorado to internet startups to working in the top New York City restaurants, including Kraft and Hearth. In addition, he has served as a marketing manager for several New York City newspapers and magazines, and he has earned his MBA at New York City's Stern School of Business with a specialization in entrepreneurship. During the summer of 2010, he and a friend launched an innovative food concept called Mexicu, a fusion of Southern American barbecue and Mexican. Uh, and today they have five locations with a bourbon and tequila bar. It's a really great episode. Here it is, Thomas Kelly. 
And with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest. He's the co-founder of Mexicu, Thomas Kelly. My man, are you feeling unstoppable today? Feeling unstoppable. Yes, man. I cannot wait to dive into your story, but let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra what do you got for us i think the mantra at mexico the mexico mantra if you will on success is just that it's um you know the key is is just finding um value through co and success through collaboration with everyone in the organization dude i'm so happy you're dropping words like collaboration on me right now that is one of our core values here at restaurant unstoppable that's awesome and it's one of the biggest lessons i've learned that like to make it today you can't do it alone Totally. You, you can't look at the, the restaurants down the street as your competition. I mean, technically, yes, they are. They're, they're, they're jockeying for the same business you are, but you together with those other people will go so much further and you can share that. You can Agreed. share that, that business. Agreed. Especially with like the changing, the rate at which the landscape is changing right now. It just, yeah. You just need to collaborate with people inside the organization and outside the organization in order to find success. So we're getting a little ahead, a little ahead of ourselves. I usually don't start pulling back layers this soon, but you got me super <laughs> interested, man. How do you approach people outside of your organization for collaboration? I mean, I'm just one of those people who's always eager to have conversations with peers, mm. right? And so, you know, I'm... Um, always up for an introduction and always up for a you know phone call or um, in person meeting under more normal non covid circumstances um, and just find those you know that that more often than not those introductions and those conversations are going to be extremely valuable for yeah. me and hopefully for you know whoever i 'm chatting with as well for sure and one of the things i 've noticed is that like you you only bring to the table so many skills and assets sure. right but when you start approaching other restaurateurs and other people. They, you start to realize, oh wow, like so and so, Sally is really great at you know fill in the blank. Yeah, but I'm really great at fill in the blank over here. And when we start coming together, we can compensate for our weaknesses and together go much further. Have you have you picked up on that? Is that happening? Oh, 100 percent. I mean, I think especially I don't know. This is different right now in today's like you know hospitality and restaurant industry world, but it seems that you know there are people that are coming from a lot more varied types of backgrounds. And not just coming up through culinary school, studying traditional French cooking, and then coming up through a fine dining, you know, I think you're a perfect example of this. And we're going to get into your background, your backstory, but sorry to cut you short. No, no, mine. So mine's definitely not traditional. And, you know, I just find in a lot of the conversations I'm having with, with folks in the industry that it's just people are finding their way into this world through a lot of different experiences. And yeah, for sure. So where does it make sense to start telling your story? I mean, on that note of having different experiences, why don't you just kind of fill the listeners in on who Thomas Kelly was before the restaurant tour? Sure. So I, um, previous to starting Mexico, which was just over 10 years ago now, um, I was working in online marketing in New York City. And so I was working for a small media company doing kind of digital marketing. So kind of get it, getting some exposure into that digital marketing world. Um, and at nights I was working in restaurants and always had a real passion for food, but didn't think of it at the time as something that is a, is a career path necessarily. So you're working in restaurants. Was that necessary for you to get by or was this more of like, no, I no, just no. want to be around food? Oh, no, no. I was working. I was walking into restaurant. I mean, I, I worked for free for five years 
at nights after my day Dude, job in restaurants. I so it was, it was, let's, let's go nice. back even further though. Cause I feel like you have, you were working in Boulder, Colorado. Was this before you yeah. came to New York? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. You want to go way back. Let's go back, man. I cool. want to find out who we're talking to. Yeah. I mean, well going way back, I mean, I just was, you know, lucky to be exposed to really good food and scratch cooking and, um, from an early age. So my, you know, my, um, my, my mom and my grandmother were, were always like, you know, cooking crazy things and from scratch and, um, and so at a young age was really exposed to, you know, home cooking. Okay. We did not go out to eat a lot. Do you identify as a chef? I was I was curious to call you Chef Thomas Kelly or not. Uh not not really. Okay. Actually, yeah. I think of um no. I, I think of yeah, I kind of hold that title for people that have maybe gone up through the traditional yeah. channel we talked and, about. And you can usually you can usually tell when somebody has has a respect for the the trade because they know what it takes. Like if they go like they do they go through like what is it, ten years minimum you have right. to be working in the industry to, to to be able to, so you're almost at that point or you just recently passed that point because you've been yeah there. i mean listen yeah yes yes we were, we're past that point but i also spend my day doing yeah. i mean a, a large portion of my day and we could talk about it but is is you know filled with creating food and recipes but like but a lot of it isn't yeah and so you know it's hard to like use that title I um for yeah for so anyway but yes yeah, so but yes yeah, so exposed to food um, and became really interested in it at an early age. And you know, it was just drawn. I mean, I was in the kitchen cooking at a very young age. Okay. So as far as um, operations, business mind, whatever, fill in the blank, where did you evolve the most as far as your knowledge about the restaurant industry? Like what, what experience sets you up the most in your, in your come up to be successful in this industry? I mean, just developing a passion for food. Okay. For sure. I mean, I think, you know, we'll fast forward at some point to, you know, the structure of our organization today, but, um, you know, my, my, I developed that passion for, for food very early on and then marketing a little bit later and, you know, among other things, but those are my two focuses here today at Mexico. So what did you focus on in your, 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 uh, education? Where were you? Art history. Art history. <laughs> okay. When did you graduate? Not to date you. Uh, no, no, not at all. So I, um, I, I went to uh, University of Colorado in Boulder okay. and, and finished in 2000. Which explains the fast casual experience. So in 2000, yep. you were working fast. You weren't at Chipotle, were you? No, but it was just, it was emerging at that time, as obviously you know. Yeah. 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 So we, no, yep. So there were a couple like really cool Mexican restaurants, so fast casual restaurants, although we didn't call it that at the time in Colorado and Denver and Boulder. Illegal Pete's was one, which has now kind of grown quite a bit. And then Chipotle, of course. And so... So this was just a job to get by while you're in school. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yes. Yes and no. Yeah. At the time, yeah, I started working in a a sandwich shop called Presto. Okay. And which was also like kind of a fast casual type of restaurant um, in Boulder. And that was, in fact, a, you know, a job to help, you know, get through college or whatever by textbooks. But, um, but also was like feeding that that itch for cooking a bit too. So was it not until like 2008, 2009 until your previous business partner, David approached you and said, or did you approach him? No, no, he approached me. Yeah. Was ever owning a restaurant like in the works for you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, so I moved to New York and had studied art history and thought I might work in the art world that, you know, after I dug into it a little bit, didn't seem to like, you know, didn't, didn't, wasn't something I wanted to really pursue, I realized. So jumped into online marketing. Um, and that was a choice I made at the time, like many young people where, you know, I just moved to New York. I needed a job, was interested in learning marketing, wasn't super passionate about it. 
and um, but enjoyed it and worked in in that role for several years and um, and then started working at nights as I mentioned, kind of staging or doing a sort of you know externship type of thing uh, for several years in some great restaurants around the city. And at that point, I realized I wanted to be doing something professionally in food, but wasn't sure you know, what that path might be. Got you. So working for some of these restaurants in New York, were there any key mentors, any key stages that you think you really kind of, without those stages, like you wouldn't have had some key skill sets that set you up for success? Um, was it just about the food at this point? It was about the food. Okay. And so from a culinary, you know, perspective, yes, there, there was, but I don't put it from a business perspective. Um, well, that's things what we're that, here to talk about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, you know, from a, from a sort of like entrepreneurial or business perspective, no, I just wasn't getting And that. I'm sure they were there. I just wasn't, you know, I was really in the kitchen Maybe subconscious, like yeah. picking up on like little like processes and flows yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, what about just like culture? Did, were you picking up on culture and, and ways to lead a kitchen from looking at these chefs and these restaurateurs? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there was, yeah, there's definitely like a lot that I was seeing that was, you know, things that I viewed as, as good and things that I viewed as not so good. And it was, these were like traditional, you know, fine dining restaurants. And, um, and so there's like, you know, there's a very deep ingrained culture in those places. You know, I happened to work at, at restaurants where they had great leadership in place and really good culture and values in place. Um, but I also, you know, I also realized one of the things that I took away was that, you know, that you, I mean, it's just a, a really, really hard, deep work ethic with people putting really long hours in, in the fine dining world, restaurant world. And so for me, I walked away and said, well, not, it's not good or bad. And then, you know, but I, I walked away saying like, I don't want that for myself or my, for my, you know, for my culture okay. at Mexico at so some point. Can, can you, I know it's been a, probably at this point, like 12 or 13 years right? Yeah. going back. But can you reflect back at some of the, the great leadership? And can you give me an example, a specific story of when you saw great leadership and what great leadership looks like? Well, um, I really pull, I, I push here, man. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> um, that's great. I love it. Uh, so Marco Conoro was the, the chef de cuisine at Kraft when I was working there in pastry and then started Hearth and went over there. And, um, and I think, you know, I just saw, you know, he just had a very, I mean, all chefs can get riled up occasionally. This guy is just a very, very even temperament. And so, you know, I saw a lot of under, you know, even in very, very high stress situations, you know, any normal dinner service and, and, and those very busy restaurants at the time. Um, you know, I just witnessed a guy who was leading the kitchen and able to keep his cool. Why is that important? Well, because the, the alternative is losing your cool and then, you know, in speaking to people and, you know, yelling at people or doing the sort of like traditionally what people think chefs do in kitchens, the, you know, the, uh, the sort of like, you know, whatever Gordon Ramsay style, like yelling at people, which is just like, that's not good for culture. Yeah. Fear, fear and control, right? Like, uh, totally. Yeah. So why, why is that bad for culture? I know it well, seems obvious, but I really no, try to no, pry. Out. I mean, please. I mean, I think you know. I mean, just being on the receiving end of that is not is not going to make you feel good, and not going to make you feel like you're you know a value part of the team, mm. you know, or taken seriously. Yeah. I mean, it fundamentally you want to make people feel like they're collaborating with you, and that they are cared for and taken care of, and and by you know 
you know, you need to yeah. speak to people with respect in order to make them feel that way. If you think you're going to get results out of somebody by screaming in their face, and you're going to make them better in that moment. You have a different short, thing. Short term <laughs> in the moment, short term, maybe, well, but certainly argue, not in the long term. I'd argue not even in short term, maybe because they're going to be not. so up in their head about how much they want to strangle you or kill you or walk in or throw their, your, their apron in your face. That totally. they're probably just going to mess up again. Totally. You know, cause they're, they're not going to be able to focus their emotions yeah. are going to take over, you know? Uh, it's just, a. Uh, it's, so thank you for getting into those details. I think yeah, you yeah. really spelled it out well. Um, what about values? You said there were some great values. What were some of the big values that you picked up through working at some of these great restaurants? Well, um, you know, that's, that's a little bit of a tough one for me because I was not, you know, I, I was there in a very part-time capacity. And so I was just not, you know, super, super involved in the culture of the restaurant. I was sort of dipping in and out at night and sort of observing from afar. Um, but you know, we started off by talking about collaboration. I mean, I think, you know, all of these restaurants did a really good job of extracting, you know, creativity and value from, from, you know, the whole kitchen team. What was the approach of, uh, how would, how would these chefs, these restaurateurs engage their team in a way to encourage them to contribute? Was there a structure put around this or giving them, I mean, you know, I think giving them creative autonomy to kind of come up with, you know, make decisions on altering dishes or coming up with new dishes and taking those kind of risks. Yeah. And I think that's really key too. I mean, it's just the power of, we were talked about earlier, like collaboration, like mm-hmm. you are only so good by yourself, but when you open up the channels to your mind, to other minds, you're literally compounding the energy, potential energy you have. Yes. And and we cut ourselves short when we try to control the menu or try to control the even the creating systems and processes or even developing the culture. Sure. When you break down those barriers and you open that up to that potential energy, it's like the sky is the limit. Like it, Agreed. It's, it's a very powerful approach. Um, what about what not to do? I, I love asking like the, the lessons you've learned, the things you observed of what people did that you're like, wow, yeah, that's not going to be me when it's my turn. You know, I think the... I mean, I think the um, the work life balance in sort of traditional fine dining restaurants is is really tough, and um, I mean we go into the reasons for that, but I think that's probably irrelevant. But it, it's you know I think that that's um, just sort of not you know when you've got people working so much of their life and not able to like separate work from their personal life and take the time that they need to you know rest and reflect and recharge. Yeah. It's just not setting up, you know, a, a sort of sustainable, scalable. Yeah, you know, I, I, I yeah. Did I cut you short? No. So I agree one hundred percent. And you know, it's weird because I sit in this position where I get to make an example of successful people, mm-hmm. and to make it in this industry, or to at least to have the perception of of making it in this industry, I've noticed to, to, to what you're saying that like. Should I really be making an example of these people? Have these people really figured it out, right. or are they just projecting this image of, you know, we're the best and like all's good? But internally, like at home and like emotionally, and, right? You know, physical health and all that, like emotional health. Like, are these people people we want to aspire to be like? Sure, it's a real question. Uh, an inner dialogue that I have to be like, should I be promoting these people and what they sure. do? Like, fascinating. So, what are your thoughts when I say that? Well, I just, I, I agree. I mean, I think it's, I mean, to me, in my mind, it's, um, you know, I think that is, 
doable over a you know in in a short term i mean i think you see a lot of these restaurateurs and teams sort of you know racing and just grinding it out and it's just going to lead to burnout yeah i don't i don't know if you know if that's just a sustainable long-term viable approach well i think this is why it's so important for us to have conversations because mm-hmm. like i talked to like, literally like the best restaurants and the the most successful you know biggest cities out there and from the outside looking in they're having like G, you know g crew like food and wine uh like all these like publications these yeah. awards james beard michelle sure. stars but they're they're barely making payroll right you know and it's like what are we doing why are we celebrating 100 percent. you know like we need to take a few steps back and really start to like you know set new standards agreed um, I mean, maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves. Maybe we can reflect on what those yeah. standards look like in the future. Uh, but uh, at what point, um, take us to the, the point where your previous, your, your past business partner, David, mm-hmm. um, sh- say his name for me. Shalace. Shalace. He approaches you. Like, Take us to that point. Well, I remember it very well. Yeah. Um, I mean, we were, we were friends and still are friends. And... Um, and both working in corporate day jobs and over the course of like years had talked about, you know, both of us being interested in starting our own business, me yeah. specifically in food. And yep. he was not so sure at the time. And, um, and he had been spending some time in LA. I think I mean, he actually had one specific trip where he had, you know, actually sort of visited and seen this food truck, you know, part of the, the fabric of the culture of LA. And, thought it was, you know, an intriguing idea for New York. Okay. And so that started the conversation. This was like this was like early early, you know, January, February 2010. Okay. I think this is a great spot to take our first break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back to kind of talk about what happened hereafter. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure your profitability and restaurant success. Trusted by over 400 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the tools you need to streamline labor operations, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system system you already use and trust like toast turning labor into a competitive advantage for you and your business to get three months absolutely free head over to www.sevenshifts.com slash unstoppable that's the number seven s-h-i-f-t-s dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free get on it we're back, and uh, you're just getting into the story of how David approached you. Um, what, so you were definitely I, – I did a little bit of research. I knew that he knew that you were crazy about food, an incredible cook, um, maybe even in his, his words, a chef. Who knows, <laughs> right? Um, so what was it – like what was – take us like the, the, the dialogue, what the conversation looked like, what your, what your strategy was then and how you executed it. Well <laughs> – I mean, it's funny to look back. I mean, we were, you know, I remember very well we were sitting um, at Milady's, which sadly no longer exists in Soho, and having a couple beers in the afternoon. This wasn't the first time we came up with this, but this is sort of our first sit-down meeting, I guess, if you want to call that. Did he pitch you in this moment, or did he already No, we had already, like, he had already pitched me on the idea, and I already had expressed interest. Okay. And, um, 
And so we've, you know, very quickly just sort of started running with it um, and sat down at my ladies and started kind of hashing out the idea. And one of the things that happened at that meeting, which is kind of fun, is like, is this, you know, when we talked about, well, the obvious question of, well, what should this be? Because he was just starting a food truck. You know, he's a guy that was like mostly interested in the entrepreneur and, yeah. you know, the growing of the business. That was going to be my question. How did you guys get into your lanes? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's an interesting question and a complicated one that evolved over time. But, um, but you know, he was really interested in like starting a business and the nuts and bolts of like, you know, starting it and growing it. Um, and, and mine was certainly, you know, kind of the, the food and, and marketing and branding You're creative. Yeah, totally. So we sat down and like started talking about like what the, you know, well, so what is the concept? Cause he had, you know, he knew he wanted to start a food truck. I was game. Um, and we like immediately, immediately I was like, well, we should do Mexican barbecue for sure. Why, why did you immediately know that was your, I, there was a couple reasons. One is it was like food that I was kind of cooking, you know, that I had loved cooking, but not thinking about it like it wasn't like i had you know intentionally at home been like working on this You're combination you of need to feed yourself no total 100 <laughs> percent. and it was like i was drawn towards the sort of slow and low you know comfort foods of the south mm-hmm. and then marrying those with like all kinds of flavors from around the world that added like spice and flavor and freshness texture into the slow and low barbecue. Well, you, you started a business before this, did you not? Or like a, a media, like chili, some t- kind of chili. Like Yeah, yeah, yeah. I is said, that still going? E, well, we actually just last year kind of absorbed it into Mexico, the chili okay. lab. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that was like, you know, just spices. Exactly. So spices from around the world, yep. primarily chilies, and sort of a deep dive into like, you know, the variety and nuance of flavor profiles of chilies from around the world. Okay. Super geeky culinary I stuff. I love it, man. Yeah. So, like, I mean, so you, what, what I do love about this is you're able to tie your passion with your business. And I think that that's super important because yeah. you need to be obsessed. You need to want to spend all of your time 100%. on this subject, whatever it is, because you're going to have to to be successful. 100%. So, you were smart. I don't know if that was intuitive or intentional to align your passion with your business or what was going through your mind. I mean, that was just organic. Yeah. And so it wasn't super strategic or intentional. It was just like, you know, and I think, you know, it was a great, it's an, it's a, it's a typical, you know, story of a, you know, startup company where we were, you know, both super passionate about yeah. it. It was just raw passion and excitement. And, you know, and, uh, and, and Dave was excited about, you know, as excited about just the entrepreneurial grit of getting this thing off the ground. I love it. Um, so bringing it back to the conversation, can you reflect back at that? that time you guys got together, you're sitting at this bar, you're having a conversation. Um, what, what was the conversation? I know it was a long time ago, but what kind of things were you guys, you know, exploring and maybe even what should you have been exploring that you didn't explore? Oh God. Well, that list is too long to go over <laughs> probably right now, but, um, but it was, it was essentially like a back of the envelope conversation. Yeah. Like it was the, yeah. you know, typical, like, I mean, we might've even had like a, a napkin on the table. We were like, you know, sketching stuff out. Nice. Like that was it. It was like, okay, like, just that initial crafting, like, well, what do we want to do? And, and then a little bit of realism, but like, okay, so what are our constraints from a financial standpoint? And so what were your constraints? Cause well, I feel like, like people who are listening to this, who might have the same constraints, like maybe you can inject some creativity in how to overcome those challenges. Totally. So at the time, you know, we were definitely interested in um, ignore the blender Dude, in the background. By the, way, by the like, way, don't be worried about the blender in the right, background cool. because I love the fact that there's. I want. We're actually in a restaurant, people. I'm in a restaurant. Real things happening. I'm driving around the nation, like we're sitting in a restaurant right now. You're gonna <laughs> totally. Yeah. It. Keep going. Um. So 
Let's see. I lost my train of thought with that blender, but um, no, you're you're fine. So there was you're talking about like the strategy or where you guys were. Um, oh, the constraints. The constraints. That's yeah, right. I mean, so what I was gonna say is, so while the food truck was definitely like the the impetus for the idea of starting a business, we we were you know from the get go interested in growing a brand, and we weren't sure exactly like where that would head. Um, but something, you know, grow, for me, it was about growing a, a food brand of some sort and, and a likely channel would be or a likely path would be rest, brick and mortar restaurants. One of the advantages of the food truck is it cost us about, you know, $75,000 in friends and family, credit card debt, a little bit of money walking away from our corporate jobs, like cobbling to get that together. And we were off to the races. Okay. So that was going to be my next question. And it's a weird thing to talk about, but money. Yeah. Like, and I know you guys came from the corporate world. Were you smart enough to put money away? Were you saving up for this or? I, Dave probably was. You Dave was smart enough. I would, lived in New York City. All, exactly. All I was, I know, away. 20s in New York, <laughs> New York City. Every dime was going towards, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Food and booze. Um, no, we had, I mean, a little bit, yeah. a little bit. But it was, yeah, so, but not a lot. I mean, neither one of us had a, you know, no, not a lot of savings from, from work. And so what was the number you guys came up with that you thought you would need to make it? I, uh, gosh, I wish I knew. I'm ballpark. Sh- well, if I had to guess, ballpark, we probably said, we probably said 40 to 50. And this is, and you, you knew you were going to go for a food truck. Yeah. At this point. Yeah. yeah. So I'm sure on that, on that napkin, it was like, you know, listing out these things and it was probably added up to about 40 to 50. Okay. Wishful thinking, like <laughs> yeah. big time wishful thinking. What did it take if you can reflect back to that? I mean, I think to get the thing like on the streets, it was about 75. Okay. But then we, of course, did what most businesses do and started losing money immediately. Okay. What were you losing money on that you didn't necessarily have to lose money on? Um, Everything. <laughs> I mean, we, you know, we just didn't, you know, we just, we... <laughs> I mean, I had worked in restaurants, but focusing on food in a sort of like a very specific capacity. I didn't have any exposure to restaurant operations. And so, you know, we were just learning on the job. So reflecting back, knowing what you know now about about restaurant operations, reflecting back at that time, what advice would you give yourself? I mean, one of the things I tell people when I have this kind of conversation with someone who's interested in starting a you know, a, a food truck or, or a restaurant for that matter that doesn't come from that background is, you know, there's a lot to be gained by just going and working, you know, working in operations in a restaurant. Yeah. Um, so you didn't do that because you were working. Not really. No. I mean, I would spend five years working on the line. Yeah. And I don't think enough people food. do that. When we, when we say stage, the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, like working, cooking for free, getting on the line for free. Yeah. We never, we never go to stage with a a GM. No, great point. You know, like why not? It's a terrific point. Yeah. I mean, exactly. Like that would be so valuable. (laughs) Right. Oh, a hundred percent. Absolutely. I mean, because my, you know, and we could talk about this as well, but like, I mean, I have such a firm believer that like what sets apart, you know, uh, on the short list of things that set apart successful restaurants is operations, just the nuts and the bolts every day of getting that right, Mm. which, you know, I still don't, it's still not my area of expertise, which is, you know, why my partner sitting over there, Lynn is just like, you know, really critical in the success of the organization. And I'm really interested in how you brought Lynn on and when you brought Lynn on. Cause, uh, I mean, okay. So we've unpackaged a lot. Um, I mean, I I think what you did is the best thing you can do. Just throw yourself into it. You're never going to have all the answers, but you just need to start. 
right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sometimes you just need to, otherwise you just don't get it off the yeah, ground at you, all. You also don't need to go for the brick and mortar out of the gates. Um, right. With a little bit of a preface there, food trucks aren't necessarily easier. <laughs> what you, no. What you learned. So get into that. Like, yeah. What, what do we need to know about starting a food truck that people don't yeah. I mean, I guess building on the point that we lost money right off the bat, like some of that was because of a lack of experience. What were you losing money on? I don't know if we really got that. Well, you know, so so let's talk about, you know, the challenges of the food truck. Yeah. And, um, and there's the conception out there that it would be like, oh, it's just world easier to operate and financially a lot easier. It's just not at yeah. all. If, if um, you know, if you're... The bar is lower for sure, but... The logistics, the, the driving, <laughs> a lot like, of logi- yeah, the, you got to pay for a commissary now. Exactly, Maybe in two thousand ten, the the regulations were a little looser, but for the first year they were looser, yeah. and then that quickly changed. But yeah, I mean, right out of the gates, it was like you know we were buying. I mean, one of the things you know, we were buying, like one of the things that I wanted to do with this brand when we started it, I was you know shopping at the farmers market in you know Grand Army Plaza, where you know near where I lived in Brooklyn. And it developed a relationship, just personal relationship with these farmers and loved cooking from, you know, from fresh produce and whatever else at the farmer's market and figured, oh, that's going to be great for the brand. And let's definitely do that. I mean, that was just, it, it just, we still do that here at Mexico, but, but, you know, sparingly, like it's, you can't, it's, it's very difficult financially to be buying all of your, at least for, you know, the model where, where Mexico exists to be buying all of your produce from, you know, from farmers at the mm-hmm. farmer's market. So that was, you know, an example of what I mean, one of the things we learned, labor was also just expensive, it's a hard job, and we cared about paying people well, and we cared about the people that were working, you know, with us on the truck, and in the commissary. So is it safe to say that you underestimated what the the, the cost of doing food well and taking care of people well would be? Yeah, Definitely. I think it was also like a model that was evolved. It was like sort of a new model. I mean, not like it was that innovative, but it was like, you know, at least in New York, it was a new, new model in a, in a, in a, or, or an old model in a new market. Yeah. And, and I'm hesitant to spend a lot of time in the early days. Cause I, I don't, I don't necessarily encourage people. I think the, the food truck market in 2010 isn't what it is in 2020. No. So like, no. yeah, I it, mean a year later it would have had it drastically changed. Exactly. Um, the, it's a lot more noisy of a space. Um, totally. The regulations have really, you know, tightened up and there's a lot of other really cool things you can do to test a brand that have a lot less overhead involved. So I'm curious, knowing what you know now about the restaurant market, the industry we're in, if you were going back to that version of yourself in 2009, what would the conversation look like today? Um, I mean, what was invaluable about the way that we started with the food truck um, and some of the other things we did early on is it was, you know, it was, we, we, started building brand awareness. Yes. We were sort of like building a brand and you know, it's hard to like, it's hard to assign a specific value to that. Um, it's sort of intangible. We just putting yourself out there, you know, totally. you're putting food in mouths, you're exactly. putting your colors, your, your, your lettering, your, your, you know, your text, like all that, like hundred percent. Um, were you pivoting? Did you, did you evolve? Oh the yeah. Brand at all? Oh yeah, yeah. Very, very much Take right away, right away. So right away. So we, I mean, the, so the the quick pivot was um, into catering, and so we did catering like with the truck. Okay. But then we we had a commissary from early on because we couldn't cook all the food. We were cooking everything from scratch. Yeah. All, all the, everything that we were doing, we couldn't do all that on the truck. So early on, we had a commissary, which, as you pointed to, that's expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we from early on, we kind of had this like kind of corporate commissary hub, 
and we needed more spokes on that hub. Okay. And so early channels, we pivoted. Channels to sell, are you saying? Exactly, okay. channels to sell. So early we pivoted to catering, just traditional catering, which again, we did with the truck, but we also did like, we were doing all kinds of like, we were doing like weddings and mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. What, um, what other with and without the truck were, were good for you that you would recommend somebody who's just getting started if they want to get into catering? You said weddings, what else? Weddings were um, weddings were good. I mean, they were tough. It's like there's so many moving parts and such a high bar for execution. Yeah. Uh, but what we did a lot of corporate catering. Okay. Which is like less you know just, sexy, but like we did like a lot. So not a lot of opportunity there right now. <laughs> not right now. Not right now. Yeah. But hopefully, hopefully you know soon. Soon. Yeah. Um, but that was you know we you know we made a big effort and that was like one thing that both Dave and I did early on was like driving that sales process. Yeah. So um, take us take us into the conversation about branding. Cause I think this is probably where you really shine because you have a background in marketing, you have a background in art, you, you know, like I feel like mm-hmm. branding is very intuitive to you and, and you pointed out in previous interviews you've done that branding was a big part of your success. So what does a strong brand need? Well, I guess in addition to having kind of a clear point of view and, you know, clear brand attributes that are appealing to people, it's, you know, this sort of, an emotional resonance that you want to try and develop. How do with you your do guest? that? I, you know, I don't. You're, you're already gonna. This is this question is above my head. But um, <laughs> is it intuitive for you? <laughs> uh, no, I don't. I don't know. You know, I think. Um, I think some of that comes through. I mean, we're fortunate in the restaurant industry to like have the opportunity to have a lot of like personal touch points or whatever. Um, and so I think. You know, I mean, I think that's really valuable in in deepening the emotional brand connection to people is just like those, you know, the expression of the brand through customer service. Okay. So living your brand, not just saying you're something, but like putting on paper, like, who are we? And then how do we, starting with the end in mind, who do we want to be? And how do we show up every day to be that? Totally. So what do you do to do that? Well, so for us, for example, I guess one example of that is, um, you know, from very early on with the truck, I mean, it was more, it was less surprising as a truck, but, but it still stands to this day. We sort of like, you know, one of the things that was important to our brand was just people expressing their individuality. Right. And we felt that Mexico kind of represented that and, um, creatively expressing your individuality. And so, you know, we, you know, we never had, we've had some fun gear in the past, but we've never had anyone in uniforms, and still to this day, it's a conversation we've had because sometimes it causes confusion in the restaurants now like, with like people trying here? to find the server. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But, you know, I think that's one example is just having people that, you know, the team just, you know, able to be themselves in that way. Yeah. Um, I think there was a really like a, a point where like it, that's the thing like you hear from all over the place like, oh, like. A, a good brand is a solid uniform. A good brand is like all these things. Like you, when you, you communicate with your clean in, in like, I don't know, there's just so much different advice all over the place. Yeah. It all depends on like what, what you're going for. Like what's the end game, which is why you need to start with the end in mind. Who are we? What do we want to be? And reverse engineer that. Um, right. But yeah. Um, so back to branding. Um, what were you doing unique with your brand? How are you communicating your brand to the public? Well, at the time when we started the the business, it was actually like, if you can believe it, like not early days in social media, but it was sort of a new phenomenon. I mean, it certainly wasn't early days in social media, yeah. but I mean, compared to like, you know, we didn't have, you know, I mean, this was 2010. So 10 years ago, only 10 years ago yet, like Instagram was 
if it even existed, it was not a not thing. Is, and yeah, yeah. Twitter was like kind of, you know, was, was a bigger social media platform at the time. And so we definitely like jumped onto that mm-hmm. and we were, um, using that as like looking to model, you know, Koji and some of the other like really cool trucks out of LA that were leaders, not only in, in the food world, but also doing some of those innovative things in, in social. And so we, we just sort of latched onto that very early on as a fun way to talk about who we are, A, and B, engage with, you know, the guest and the, yeah. the, the customer. So, I mean, I think what's important is what you're communicating, not necessarily the tools you're using to communicate because that's changed for today. Um, but you but get more into what you're communicating. Like, give me an example of what... Um, what your Twitter feed would have looked like, say, 24 hours leading into an event. Totally. Um, I think what we were probably, you know, one of the things that's like core to the brand is just that we're taking like kind of creatively taking um, things and, and combining them in unexpected, fun, creative ways. I mean, that's sort of like, you know, kind of the origin of yeah. the, the culinary. Um, and, you know, that we're not, you know, that we're, we're not a traditional, authentic Mexican restaurant, which is probably where people like put us without knowing much more about the brand. Yeah. Um, so we worked hard to like make sure we we're expressing that. And so, you know, a lot of it was about expressing, you know, kind of trying to convey, you know, that quality of the, the food and the brand. Um, and then we did a lot of like, you know, we talked about music, we did fashion events, we did music events, we talked about music, we, um, you know, we, we, as I said, we were always trying to do like kind of fun, cool gear and that kind of thing. So, um, I mean, I think it was, that was the, you know, that was the type of content that we were focusing on early on. So what I'm hearing from you early on, you're, you're sharing your vision. Yep. And I think that's not what people do well enough. They, 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 they make a brand and say, this is what we're going to do, but they don't really communicate what the vision is. Cause you weren't your traditional Mexican Mexican restaurant. Right. Right. Um, you, in a way where you kind of invented your own kind of cuisine, you combined, you, you did a, like a, like a hybrid or fusion of barbecue in, in Southern, Southern barbecue and Mexican food. Mm-hmm. Right. And it, so when communicating, if you're trying to do something new or, or when you're sharing your vision, is there anything, any specific advice on what, what translates well when sharing vision? I mean, this is going to sound, cheesy or generic, whatever. But I think just, you know, I mean, authenticity is such an overused word, but I think it's just, you know, just being authentic. Yeah. And I think that ties into the next thing I was going to point out is that you weren't just talking about the food. You're talking about what you also like, what the brand likes, like the music, the, the events and other stuff like that. Totally. And I think one of the things that I just, that's that's authenticity. Exactly. This is, I'm not just a restaurant. We're not just a restaurant. Exactly. We also like all this other stuff. Yeah, exactly. Authentically us. Yes. And one of the things that that just reminded me of that I just failed to mention earlier is like, you know, one of the things we still work on today and, um, and you know, early on was really important as well. I think it's important for all brands is just making sure that the people that, 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 you know, guests and consumers or whatever understand the people behind the brand. Mm. And so that was like, you know, especially as we're living in a digital world, it's becoming increasingly important to, you know, make sure people understand there are people behind the brand. Yeah. And that adds authenticity, I think, which is critical and, and, you know, so would you spotlight employees or chefs yeah, we, or, yeah, I mean, we did, we did, we, we, you know, spotlighted, empo- we, we, we definitely spot, spotlighted, 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 spotlit. <laughs> up put a light employees. on, yeah. yep. um, <laughs> put a light on those employees and, you know, that was easier to do in some cases than others. It's something we 
still talk about today. It's like, well, how do we like this, you know, Carmelo who's in the, on the line right now at, at Nomad where we are is like such a rock star. He's so awesome. Like how do we put a Ooh, spotlight on Melo more often? I literally just had an idea. And I know this is your story, but just like people doing Instagram takeovers, right? Like why not let one of your employees do a takeover of your it's, Instagram account? Yep. It's a great idea. I mean, this is a whole other conversation, but it's just all these things require resources to actually execute yeah. it and get it done the right way. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, that was like from early on, it was like, cause you know, we got plenty of the spotlight, Dave, myself and, um, but the challenge was, was yeah, you know, kind of spotlighting the rest of the team. So what I, I in, in my research, I, I know that this is, I think really rare Yeah, that you went from a food truck to a brick and mortar in like three or four months. Well, we a about a year, started. about a, yes, that's correct. And about a year later we opened. Okay. So what was that transition like um, going from food truck to brick and mortar? Did you mean, did you, re, did you retain the food truck or were you using it more like a catering We arm? did. Okay. We did. Oh yeah. So at the time, so we talked a little bit about pivoting before, but we continued to evolve and pivot in these early years. And then we kind of retracted at some point, which we can talk about. But so 2010 started with the food truck, 2011 summer of 2011 late summer august of 2011 opened up our first grab and go restaurant okay we're now full service with a bar first one was grab and go um we had a second truck we had a catering business which we talked about and we were doing like pop-up you know all the madison square eats and smorgasbord like all those type of pop-up markets around the city we were doing those as well okay um how hard is it to pivot because i know you were originally trying to go for a fast casual thing and I'm surprised, honestly, that during this time, 2010 to 2015, you would pivot away from fast casual because everybody else and their mother seemed to be pivoting towards fast casual. Yeah. So why did you make that choice to get away from him? Well, there's a couple reasons for that. So uh, we were, you know, after we opened up the, the first brick and mortar restaurant in 2011, around 2012, we started realizing that we needed to bring in some like outside capital and hopefully some, you know, a strategic partner who could help us because neither of us had come from the restaurant industry. Someone who had a little bit more experience than we did. Okay. Can help us advise on, you know, kind of evolving the brand and and the business. So what point did you realize you guys really had something and that you could scale this thing? Well, we realized we had, we had done a good job on branding and I'm not doing a good job of articulating why, but like we realized that we had done a good job just, you know, on, on developing a brand early on. But what we also realized that, you know, we hadn't, you know, we hadn't, and we were, we had great top line sales, but we were also hadn't figured out like the right model. Okay. What do you mean by model? You mean like, like, like financial model. full service? Or yeah, exactly. Okay. In a financial model that was actually like dropping money to the bottom line. Okay. Um, what, so get specific on the the options of financial models you were looking at and the one that you adopted. Well, what we, I mean, what we were doing just wasn't working great. Okay. So the food truck definitely wasn't. So paint that great picture of what you were doing up to that point and what you knew had to change. Like what were you doing and what, and what were the changes you made as far as financial model? So I guess I'll frame it in a slightly different way. So we, what we knew at the time was that we were doing some things really well, food, branding, we had top, you know, good top line sales. People were coming into the restaurant. Restaurants were busy. Food trucks were busy, all that good stuff. But we just hadn't quite figured out like- The margins weren't there. The margins weren't there. prime costs were off. Yeah. I mean, the margins weren't there, A, for the individual. You know, some of them maybe more than others. Maybe one pop-up was successful. Others weren't. But then we also had this big corporate structure. And so the whole model wasn't in place. And, And so- 
and you know we we knew we had an appetite to keep growing the brand and we just understood at that point that it was important that a we you know we um try and bring in some outside capital yeah. again someone ideally strategic who could help add value to the company and um and b we were also just doing too much. And okay. so, and we were cognizant of that at the time. It was like, and some of that was just early survival mode and pivoting, as you said. You're like, taking the shotgun approach. You were just like, yeah, yeah, shotgun 100%. Blasting, seeing 100%. what hits. Yep, and then, yep exactly. Yeah. And seeing what hits and just sort of like, you know, any any additional thing we can do to try and like bring in more money, which which was kind of, you know, sort of survival mode and we need to do. But ultimately, that just creates too much complexity. But and I also don't think that's a bad thing early on. No. Because you, you have to try things. You I mean, don't know. Totally. Yeah. Exactly. You have to take risks yeah. and uh, try things and, you know, Eventually, you got to start to you know create formulas around yeah. what does work and what doesn't work, so you can recreate it. Exactly, and one of the things that we did realize once we opened up the brick and mortar was that you know there was a more reliable model there. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a good model there, and so we and it was a very very small space, four hundred square feet, and okay. like smaller than we probably would have wanted, but yeah. like affordable for our first brick and mortar time, restaurant. That's important because people get in trouble. I think they get they go too big too soon. Yeah, this was the opposite, and like you, you haven't developed the demand yet. The brand hasn't 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 really gotten legs and gotten out. So you go too big too soon, and then you have all this overhead, all these liabilities, all these employees, right? And like you don't let cash flow and totally. other things determine your growth. Yeah, exactly. And so we almost had the opposite problem here. I mean, it was a very small space, 450 square feet and like lines out the door because we already had good brand awareness. Yeah. And thank God, you know, when we opened up our first brick and mortar, people were still interested in experiencing Mexico in that way and not just as a food truck. Yeah. But I would take a line out the door and butts in every seat over never align oh 100 and empty chairs oh definitely yeah. and controlling every cost perfectly it, it communicates something yeah that this is a good spot yeah you know and, agreed and, and like yeah even, like and eventually you're gonna go there but like but a year of people just being like oh it's always so busy like you know yeah. at least you have somebody in the queue constantly you know and then yep. you can go to the next space and people are like finally like yes you know so i, I think that that is a really good approach um but I, I get where you're coming from too, where you're just seeing people walk by because they don't want to stand in line. So you're like money loss. Yeah, we just said. I mean, we just we also realized from a brand standpoint, it was you know it was such a small space, and it was, um, and it was so we we just had we thought we could do more fun things with the brand, more cool things with yeah. the brand in a larger footprint. So how long did it take you to go to from that that grab and go small four hundred square foot space to a larger space? Is this that larger space? Nope. This okay. is the one we opened. Nope. So the first one we opened, so we went through this fundraising process okay. and, um, and that was like a brutal, painful process of, you know, just like pounding the pavement, what, selling. What, yeah. What channels, what mediums did you use? I mean, every single one. <laughs> it was just like, you know, all of us, you know, were, were just like tapping every single person in our network to make an introduction, to make an introduction, like endless lunches and all that kind of stuff. Now, what what are your thoughts on taking money on raising capital? Like, I get a little weird about that sometimes, and I'm not saying I have all the answers. Yeah, but I, what concerns me about that is when you start taking money from people. Like, how do you how do you make sure that they don't start to determine what the brand is and that they don't start steering the ship? Find the right partner. I mean, that's what's interesting, and you know, this is kind of circling back to a question you asked a few minutes ago, um, which I was eager to tell you about. But you know, like, in, in you know, it's like it's tough because. Generally, when you're doing going through that fundraising process at an at an early stage as a company, you're like you you don't have the luxury of being able to like take all the time in the world and choose the perfect partner, mm. right? Yeah. So it's it's super tricky in that respect. I mean, 
Yeah, it's very tricky well, in that respect. I, mean, I don't know if you're alluding to the fact that David is no longer in the business, or is that separate from? What oh we're no, no, about? and no, no, no. Dave moved on, you know, amicably later on. But like, so at the time we went through this, so we 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 you know went through this very long, grueling, painful fundraising process. But it yeah. ended really well because okay. we brought on the round was led by That's Sandy right. Bell, who um, who was you know we immediately. Did I hear that right? Sandy, yeah. Sandy. And so Sandy started Ruby Tuesday in college and then grew gotcha. it as CEO for a long time and has been, you know, started a bunch of other companies, Blackberry Farms, like all like really cool stuff, hospitality brands. And um, and he so he led the round and then we had a, a handful of other great investors. And we just, I mean, it was extremely fortunate because he was, you know, he, he was kind of the ideal collaborator. I mean, he very much was, you know, was interested in collaborating with us on growing the brand. And, um, that's not always easy. I mean, it's not easy to collaborate with people in a yeah. creative or, you know, business environment mm-hmm. usually. It's just, but this is, you know. So that's something I'm really interested in because sure. I, I don't think... And not everybody will agree with the statement, but I think to make it in this industry, um, you need some form of partner. Because I don't know if you can do it by yourself. I agree. Because there's just so many things you need to be good at. And unless you're a freak of nature, which most of us aren't, and there, was, are, there are those genius freaks of nature that just touch everything and they figure it out and they can do it. Yep. But odds are, if you're listening to this, you're not that person. So you're going to need some kind of outside help. You're going to need some kind of partner who offsets you in some way. Sure. Um, what were you, what were, what was important to you when trying to find your partners, finding the right partner is what you said. So how did you make sure, how were you making sure you were finding the right partner? Well, I think there were kind of a couple different ways we were looking at it just sort of from like a, you know, simple, nuts and bolts of, of growing a business standpoint and particularly a hospitality. I mean, you know, we wanted someone who had, you know, we, we were hoping to find a partner who had had some more experience in growing a restaurant brand. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that was important. And then the more, you know, the trickier piece is, is finding some, I mean, it's, you know, it's so cliche, but it's truly a marriage. Yeah. Right. And, and it's so not, like, I don't think it's cliche. I think it's super accurate. Like it's, it's your life. It's a partner. 100%. Ideally, like, this is your life. This is your life's work. Right? I mean, there's no over overstating that. Yeah. And so, whether it's cliche or not, it's, it's so true. Yeah. And so, you know, there's some sort of sussing out of like whether it's the right, you know, the right, the right long term partner. Yeah. So when Sandy did come on board, um, what things started to change in your business that were just absolutely like holy crap? Like, well, so so you? at that point, to kind of again circle back to you know one of your questions is that we at that point we sort of took a step back and we're like, okay, well, so here's the brand today. Here's what we've been doing. Like, what do we want to do tomorrow? We've okay. got now. And where know, was the brand at that point? Like, well, the picture of what the yep, brand so was. So the pictures of that was 2012, 2013. We had you know our tiny little grab and go restaurant, eager to grow outside of that space. We had two trucks on the streets. Um, we are doing pop-ups, all the things we talked about. And so, you know, good brand visibility in New York, all those things. What we thought at the time was this would be logical to step into a, you know, a, a fast casual style restaurant, mm-hmm. bigger walk down the line, all those things. Um, we weren't hundred percent sure about that when Sandy came on board and we started talking about, well, what if we actually did a more of a hybrid at the time, I think was the conversation, but not a line setup okay. and incorporated, you know, a quick, casual, full service experience with a bar. So for me, I lit up when we started having this conversation because from a brand standpoint and a product, a menu standpoint, I was like, well, you know, so I can, up, so a quick casual with a bar, meaning it's a counter service, uh, full service restaurant that is quick and casual. Okay. Yeah. 
So quick so and many- casual with your back of house operations where mm-hmm. you're probably cooking a lot at once and plating quickly or what's Yeah, I mean like? we kept, you know, we kept the the you know, the food truck line is like okay. what you'll see in the kitchen right yeah. now. So like f- I mean we've got a few more pieces of equipment, but like okay. we have tried to like exercise some restra- some restraint and not expanding. We've expanded the menu quite a bit and evolved that quite a bit, but not the the kitchen operations too much. So moving to this quick casual full bar full service approach, how did that start to change things? Well, from a, I mean, it, it changed, um, for, I mean, it was a new operations model mm-hmm. and, um, you know, Sandy was, you know, I, in all of his business has been very operations, hands-on in operations and operations focused. And so we, we spent a lot of time on, on getting that just, just the nuts and bolts of, of a new System operations process. systems processes yeah. model down and obviously layering on a service component, which we hadn't, you know, experienced before in, in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, um, you know, we evolved, as I mentioned, we, it allowed me to evolve the menu quite a bit as well. And we layered on a bar element, which allowed us to do some really cool stuff with tequila, mezcal and bourbon. Also increases your profits from a financial standpoint. <laughs> yeah. It changed things quite a bit. Yeah. So, and we didn't realize that until we were a year or two in, but it was pretty quickly, it was, you know, we pretty quickly realized that like from a, from a, you know, from a PL standpoint, this was a good decision. Yeah. So seeing Sandy come in with his restaurant tour experience and his, his successful background, what kind of changes, what did you learn from observing him working on your business about how to implement system and process? Um, I mean, that's a big question. And he was, you know, a, a, a more of a high level advisor on, on that stuff. Although he knows all the stuff backwards and forwards. Um, but what we did is we brought someone on from that was like a very high level operations person's at from Ruby Tuesday, and so knew those systems inside and out. We brought that person on to manage the the general managers. Gotcha. And so, um, you know, having that the the right people and real you know real good quality managers who had had experience in you know multi unit restaurants with really good systems and processes in place was the kind of focal point of. You know, that, that was a huge step for us was just getting like the right people in the right places. Okay. And what, no, is this still 2012, 2013 is mm-hmm. where we're at? Yeah. Um, and this is one location at this point, right? Yep. So that the first full service location was on 40th between Broadway and sixth is on 40th between Broadway and sixth. Okay. 1200 square feet. The one we're now in nomad is about 2400 square feet. This was the second that came about a year later. Okay. Um, so this is kind of a, a unique approach. We talk a lot about partnerships, uh, but usually it's one person and another person. Mm-hmm. Whereas if, if I feel like Sandy kind of brought like a whole, this is a partnership between two business entities. It sounds like, I don't know what you're, what you labeled yourself as, but he's, it's, was he bringing a team with them? No, 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 not at all. Okay. Not at all. So was it between um, two people or two entities like, like, like corporate or like LLC? No, no. I mean, he, he, he came on as an, and, you know, made an investment in the, you know, the, 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 the corporate holding company. Got you. Um, and but it wasn't just a silent investor, obviously. No, 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 yeah. no, not, not at all. No. So what do yeah. we need to know about like setting that up, that agreement, that, that partnership agreement and the, and this, I guess, I mean, I know we're going back like eight years. Uh-huh. Um, did you bring on lawyers or like, what do we need to know about doing that? Right. Well, um, let's see. I mean, it's a complicated question, I guess. I'm trying to think of like, you know, what's good advice for people who would be thinking about this, who, you know, and, and I think, one of the things that comes to mind that you know happens a lot in these restaurant structures is people create 
I mean, we have different LLCs for all the restaurants, but we have the same ownership structure that's held in a holding company. Okay. A lot of times you have different investors that come into each different individual LLC and it gets very complex from a... So you have four locations right now? The we original? have five locations five. right now, yeah. So you have different LLC for each restaurant location? Yes, we have different LLC, but that's just for like, you know, for, for just for liability purposes to sort of like, you know, to limited liability. Yeah, exactly. Um, but everything is a hundred percent owned by the holding company. So is it a, is it a, is it an LLC series? Is it, is it one EIN number or does each nope, LLC? Each one has its own okay. EIN number. Gotcha. They're all individual LLCs. There's an LLC that sits on top. There's a holding company and the holding company owns everything. So it's really simple. You okay. know, the holding, I mean, you know, sort of ignore the individual LLC stuff and the holding company owns everything. Gotcha. Um, cool. That's, that's super helpful. So moving forward, when, when you started, like what, what, what happened in that one year from 2012 to 2013 that you said, okay, well, I think we're ready to, to try this someplace else. When did you know you're ready to, to, to get the, the brand legs? Pretty quickly after we opened up the, the first full service restaurant on 40th, okay. it was, you know, there was definitely something that clicked. Okay. And I think it was two things probably. One was we, you know, the, the, the brand had sort of seen it's the, the best iter- that we, 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 we were seeing the best iteration of the brand. Mexique living in this full service restaurant with a bourbon and tequila bar is fun, loud music that just felt great. Yeah. And we're like, okay, this from a concept standpoint, this feels awesome. Okay. Um, what about strategy and formula? Cause that's, I mean, is that what you're kind of referring to right now? Like that's what you were trying to figure out before when you were kind of, yeah, well that's the second thing okay. is, I mean like we operationally, we were way more buttoned up and the financial, it was, that was showing in the financials. So can you get specific? And, and if you mentioned this, sure. bring it back to the surface. Um, what were the key things operationally that changed, um, other than the, the, the service style, what yeah. other, maybe the, the back of back house, operations what were the big things that you were changing in your business that started to really improve the 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 margins and really become more profitable and more streamlined implementing systems and processes yeah were there any key systems or processes that really impacted your operation your business um it's hard to reflect back on this well no i mean it's it's all the obvious stuff i mean i think you know we were i can't remember when we we did inventory off and on you know always but like we like really like buttoned up the inventory game we also like buttoning up the inventory game look like like doing, we, we probably had a better inventory management system at that point that we were paying more attention to and just doing more detail oriented, you know, counts every week of inventory. Okay. And so we were just, we just were more dialed in. Yeah. Like, and a, a little teaser, and I have to do a little shameless plugging right here. I'm in the process of collaborating with Rudy Mick, one of my trusted mentors within the Restaurant Stoppable Network. And we're going to be launching a, a step-by-step process for, I think, daily inventory or like at least weekly inventory. So yeah. if that's something that you guys want to do in your business and you're interested, shoot me an email, eric at restaurantstoppable.com, and I'll let you know when that's ready. It's, that's awesome, man. We're going to be dropping it like any day, if not any week now. I mean, that's so smart. It's something, I mean, still to this day with all the like great people yeah. and you know systems and processes in the world, we still struggle with it. And there's great tools now that yeah, you can there are. use mm-hmm. that, to incorporate into your systems. Are you using any of those tools for inventory? Um, n- not really. We use no. I don't. Not, nothing on top of. We use a restaurant 365 for yes. inventory. You know, for for accounting, inventory management, and um, uh, you know, sort of off and on for other things. Yeah. Um, so Pass yeah, we just the use show. their. We the, love them. What's that? The, the, so the oh, great, great, great. Yes, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do I. Um, so yeah, so we use, so we use them. Okay, cool. What, so aside from inventory, what else did you guys Labor management. Okay. And we didn't use any 
um, at some point we went to, we started using Restaurant 365 for scheduling and then we went to hot schedules. And so we sort of had some better technology that helped us do that a little bit better. And um, what are you using now for labor management? Well, we are on pause with hot schedules. Okay. Yeah. Are you looking? Um, I'm curious. I don't know. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're, we're, I mean, we're, first of all, we're, you know, we're sitting in an empty restaurant well, right now cause we're in New point. York city. And good so, so we don't need, I have to remind myself. That yeah. Yeah. But we still do have, you know, yeah. we still do have people coming in. We just don't need a, you know, we don't need to gotcha. do too much sophisticated scheduling right now, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, we're just trying to forget about the pandemic as much as possible. I know exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, great. I, and I love the detail. Thank you very much. Yeah. For no, by all means. That. Yeah. Um, so, at what point were you like, okay, let's let's take this out of New York City because you have five locations now. It's two in New York. You have one in D.C. and you have one in Stanford. Yep, we have three in New York. Three in New York, okay. and we have yeah one in D.C. and one in Stanford. Okay, yeah. so yeah, like how did you? What, what were some of the challenges that you had to face when you were trying to move this brand that you've you've established that has trust in this community? How how do you take that culture, that brand, and put it someplace else? So our next stop was Stanford, Connecticut. And the reason we went to Stanford is because I was living, I um, moved from New York City about 40 years ago up to Northern Westchester um, with, you know, kind of a growing family. And Lynn Wilson, who's my partner and our director of operations, lives, you know, further north in Connecticut is where she's based. So we were both up there. We're both in the restaurants all the time. Lynn's in the restaurants all the time. So that felt like an area that would be logical if we were starting to take a step outside of New York City because we could be there just because of the proximity to where we lived. Yeah. Um, I love that. So I'm at... Something I wanted to talk about earlier, and I know that I'm, I'm asking you a question injected within another question. All good. So it's getting a little confusing. Um, we did mention that you opened with David. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm curious because sometimes you start projects with people. Sure. And some people want to stay with that project for life. And other people are like, you know what? This isn't for me. This isn't what I wanted to do. Yeah. What advice do you have for that situation where, you know, you end up deciding, hey, like, this isn't this isn't what I want to do anymore. Somebody decides they want to get out. How do you do that amicably like you, like you were able to do? Cause I think that it doesn't always end nice. So what, what advice do you have for us if people do want out and then how do you bring new people in? Cause obviously you have to replace that partner. Sure. Um, I don't know about advice for, I mean, I think it's just a sort of basic stuff like, yeah. you know, just, just being, you know, honest and respectful with these conversations. They're just tough conversations. And I think just being like, you know, kind of honest and respectful with, with the communication, just like you, you know, are with your significant other when you're having, That's you like know, a marriage, like a hundred percent. So I, you know, I think it's, it's, it's just that and being, you know, just, I mean, again, it's like sort of obvious and, but just being fair, you yeah. know, I mean, it's, there's some sort of like, negotiation that has to happen with these things, which sort of affect, you know, financials and that, and and that sort of thing. And so it's, you know, I think it makes it a lot easier when both parties are really have the intention of being fair. Yeah. So at what point did David decide that he was, he had enough of the restaurant industry or with this, this concept? Well, let's see. It was, um, I think it was 2014, 15. So it was after Sandy came on. Yeah. It was after Sandy came on. Um, and, and I mean, you'd have to ask him why. I mean, what I can tell you, you know, I think he, he's, I mean, you know, he's an entrepreneur at heart for sure. And he was sort of very excited about growing things very quickly and starting new things. And I think he had some, you know, his sights set on some, some other cool ideas already. And, you know, I think I also, 
you know, he, his pat, as I mentioned, when we started the conversation, his passion is that like, yeah. is the entrepreneurship. Mine is food. Yeah. This restaurant is so freaking it, hard. It's such yeah. a grind that I think if, unless you're super, super in loved and passionate about the food, it's, you know, it, it's, it's hard to grind it out yeah. for such a long time. Of course. Yeah. So I can't help but think, cause earlier you said that, you know, you started with what your passion was and you reverse engineered it. Mm-hmm. And I think this is kind of a testament to why that's so important. Cause you were able to stick with it cause it was your passion. But at the same time, some people's passions are starting new projects. Yeah. And if exactly. that's who you Such are, a good point. and if that's who you are, that's fine. Such a good point. But you need to know that because Such a good if point. that is who you are, then you need to find somebody who has a passion about the thing. Definitely. So you can work on the business and they can work in the business. Well, I mean, I'm, you work on the business yourself too, but you know what I'm saying? Oh, no, no, absolutely. So you need to absolutely. find that partner. Everything's starting something. And that sounds like that's what David's thing was. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that, but you need to know, you need to be self-aware about what you want and be able to find and surround yourself with partners that are going to be able to be the elements of the, the business that you're not. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. Well said. Um, cool. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that. So when you, when, when David exited, did it, were you thinking to yourself, okay, well there's this void cause he was responsible. His name was next to these items on the to-do list or the, the organizational chart. He was responsible for these things. Is that kind of when, when, when did the link come into the picture? Um, we had, we already had a director of operations, okay. um, who, um, who, who was in place before Ruby Lynn. Tuesdays. Uh-huh. Another Ruby Tuesday yeah. person. Yeah. Okay. That's, I mean, whenever Great we can find someone for, yeah. from Ruby Tuesdays, it just makes my life like infinitely easier. Yeah. It's like, and, um, and so we, so we had a director of operations. Um, and I mean, I guess to answer the question, we sort of, you know, we filled, we, we didn't need to, and that was because, wasn't because Dave wasn't, you know, contributing or adding value. He was certainly was, but we also like weren't at a stage at that point. I mean, we were tiny little, I mean, we were, we were probably had too many corporate people to begin with. Mm-hmm. Like we were tiny, we're still are tiny. And so, you know, this was five years ago. And in fact, we haven't grown. Our corporate team hasn't grown at all since then, you know? And so we just, you know, so we filled the gaps, I guess, um, just by like adjusting my role, adjusting my director of operations role a little bit, Sandy's role in some ways, that kind of thing. Got you. Um, Anything we have not discussed up to this point, because I'm looking at time goes by so fast in these interviews. We're we're an hour and six minutes into. Well, don't this sweat recording. the timing. Yeah, but I, I'm I'm just curious. Anything that you were hoping we would discuss? Anything that you know about yourself and your your business, Mexico, that is unique in some way that can really add value to somebody else who's listening to this? If you know, like, where do you really shine? Do you think? I mean, I would. I don't think there's anything any gaps in in what. Yeah, I mean, I would just We've keep, keep trying. We yeah. have covered a lot. Yeah, absolutely. What was the question? Keep what? Keep prying, I said. Keep Pry prying. away. Yeah, yeah. Keep going, yeah. So um, I guess one of the things I do like to discuss, um, I mean, I don't, I used to really pull back the layers on how, how are you evolving? How are you adapting to get through COVID-19? And mm-hmm. I kind of feel like at this point, if you haven't evolved, if you haven't adapted, the ship's kind of sailed. Um, but what I am curious about is what do you, what do you see the future of the industry being and how do you plan on evolving to stay relevant in what that future landscape looks like? Another great and complicated question. I think the the things that we're thinking about right now are, um, you know, obviously having a digital presence has become increasingly important. Um, and so we have invested a lot in that over the last year. How have you evolved digitally? What are the key things? And I was sitting here, I'm not going to lie, I was totally eavesdropping and you guys talking about business. I was like, oh, they're talking about Instagram Reels or Instagram Reels. Yeah. They're talking about all this stuff. And I know, I think a big reason why you referred to me is that 
you you really started to have a more of a presence, your your personal face. You're, you're like you doing you talking directly to your guests and putting your face yep. out there is a big part of one of the changes that happened over the years. So take us through that journey personally and what that was like. Oh, it was painful. I bet. As a yep, as a as an old man, as a you know, <laughs> dad, it's like not my comfort zone at all. So how did you get out of your head and just start putting your face in front of a camera regularly? Um well we were working with a couple agencies last year on rebranding mm-hmm. two of them one um was helping us with like a brand identity evolution and the other is like specialist in digital communication okay um both awesome and was this who i just had the elbow bump with what's that no no okay no 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 um the elbow bump is my way of saying shook hands with some of the people that you're yeah no no oh Lindsay, no no Lindsay, Lindsay's actually like on our team these are two two agencies gotcha, gotcha. Lindsay's, yeah Lindsay's on our team executes marketing for us on a day-to-day basis awesome so yeah take us through those evolutions and how these 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 companies influence your well, change. yeah so both of them basically in like this you know, this process of like trying to understand the brand they're like you guys need to do a better job of talking about you know who's behind the brand and that starts with the person who like started the company yeah and is still like you know very involved in the food and you know culture and everything else and so you know we that was sort of like one of the you know one of the themes we identified and just sort of like realized okay like that's super important and it may be uncomfortable and but we've got to do that and the way to do that right now is social media yeah and this is honestly something um that i think i struggle with personally um, I, what I'm curious, like, I, I just never think in my head, like, oh, share what your emotions are right yeah. now. Like talk to your listeners, like yeah. get vulnerable, get real. Totally. I think I'm good at doing that during the podcast and being honest. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I'm not constantly, I don't have such so much of an ego that I feel like people want to hear about the inner dialogue of Eric Cacciatore. Oh, I mean, every time I do it, I'm like, why? No one wants to hear this. Why am I doing this kind of thing? So yeah. I think it's, I mean, we're, we're just, you know, I think we're, you know, probably not from the generation that's wired that way. Well, that's what I think that's, that, that's what my internal dialogue is. Like who gives an F? Oh, hundred percent. And like the world is so noisy. Do I really want to contribute to the noise? hundred percent so how do you so this i mean you're I'd, resonating with what i'm sharing how oh, do yeah. you overcome that and what, what's your advice for me for overcoming that <laughs> um i mean i just had to allocate i just had to allocate time every day to, and just force myself to start doing it so you block time yeah just literally yeah block time yeah and just and and acknowledge it as something that's an important part of the work day that that needs because i think one of the things that people do is it's like because you undervalue it so much and because you've got this conversation in your head that like, why does anyone want to hear this? And, you know, if that's the conversation going on in your head, that's not, you know, you're not recognizing that yeah. as valuable work. Yeah. So as a result, it's not on the list of your things that you need to take care of. It's yeah. anywhere near the top and you're just trying to sort of squeeze it in. And that's, you know, particularly for someone like for, for guys like us, like that's, you need to actually like allocate time to make it happen. So when you, when you, you're looking at your calendar, you're like, Oh, it's almost, you know, Instagram talk time. Um, what, what does the dialogue like? How, how are you planning that conversation that you're having with your audience? Well, we think about you know I work with Lindsay on sort of mapping out our. I mean, it's kind of like an editorial calendar, just based on what we have going in, going on at the restaurants. Okay. And so over the last you know several months, that's been like it's changing. The business is changing constantly, so there's been a lot to talk about there. But it could be anything from that to you know menu updates to show you know, exactly showing the work or, or, you know, trying to like, you know, incorporate people on the team. Um, 
that kind of thing. So it's really following that like editorial calendar and figuring out what we want to, you know, what, what are the talking points based on all those things? So you're looking at your calendar, like what, what's, what are we doing in the business today? Like what, what are the changes we're making? And you're just sharing behind the scenes. Yeah, and you're just exactly. Real. Do you ever get emotional? Do you ever bring your, is it just like what's happening in the business or is there ever what's happening in Thomas Kelly, Thomas Kelly's head? Well, there, there's definitely some emotion that seeps into it occasionally, despite my best efforts to... <laughs> but is that a bad thing? No, no, no. I think it's a good thing. Yeah. I mean, I should be doing it more. I mean, I think I'm probably too, you know, rigid about it. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's not, it's, it's, again, it's like, I'm not, this isn't, this isn't like an intuitive, natural, comfortable thing. So I think if it were, it'd be easy to share emotion a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, especially over the last year, it's been such an emotional year and such emotion tied to the business that there's been a lot of opportunities for better or worse to, to, to share that. So are, when you're posting these, um, I'm, I'm on Instagram right now, if you're wondering why I'm typing away while I'm yeah, talking please. to you, um, you're posting these to your feed or is this your, so I'm looking at, I'm on the Mexico right now and it's mostly just food. Yeah. Um, but you also have your private, um, okay. So, so you're so dialing into like an ongoing question we have about like how we, like what does the ecosystem look but like? What you've done is, so you have the Mexico brand, which is yep. the, the, fo- the focus is the food, right? Yep. But then in your bio, you, you, there, there's your handle right there, yep. Thomas Kelly three. So then, so the, the thing is you using the bio to say, Hey, like, so here's the brand, but if you're interested in who's behind the brand, correct, here's Thomas Kelly. Yep. And then from there, it's just your face and it's, it's, it's just the life of Thomas Kelly. What you got going on you with the, of the, the, uh, wood background staring at a camera. Yeah. Just, just what, what are you talking about when you're getting into this? Like, what are we going to work on? Well, I think we're already kind of. Well, so I mean, bit. no, I mean, it's, I mean, we, it's, a, it's again, it's yeah, it's like the editorial calendar. I think the the balance of things is like a little bit, um, you know, a little bit of updates on the business, and and we've, you know, there's again, there's been a lot to talk about over the last year. For me, you know, for me, it's important, you know, that I, I think it's important that we sort of that we use that as a channel to talk about the creative process. Um, with the food yeah, and, yeah. See and pictures of your kids, pictures of your yeah. dog. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's a person. Yeah. It's a personal channel that exists primarily for but people want to see the, the, the people behind the brand. Definitely. Um, yeah. And I, honestly, I think I could be way better at this myself, but I'm taking notes from you. I think this is really great. Well, stuff. we'll see. Eric. It's interesting because I think, you know, we spent a lot of time over the last year and change, um, you know, investing in, in creating content and, um, and, and I, you know, I'm, I'm happy with where we are and we're making progress and getting better at it. But it's hard to, you know, it's hard to, um, to assign a value to, to this yeah. stuff. I mean, it's hard to measure. I mean, you know, we do try and measure the efforts, some social media efforts that tie to actual like conversions into sales. But then there's this sort of more amorphous, like, you know, value of to, creating a it's, brand. It's also hard to track ROI on that stuff. Exactly. Um, it's that's, kind of just like one of those things. It's soulful. You just have to kind of believe that like, exactly. It's going to come back some way. Like so much branding is. Yeah. I mean, it's like the, it's, you know, it reminds me of where we started the conversation with the truck. It's like, it's hard to like assign a value to some of that stuff. Yeah. And we, excuse me, we recently had, um, Bruce Irving on the show, uh, from smart pizza marketing in uh, business, um, local business marketing podcast. I think this is his newer one. Um, and we we're talking and I heard you guys mentioning it over here when I was setting up yeah. uh, the focus on reels. Yeah. So why is that a focus for you guys right now? And, and Bruce brought this up earlier in that episode, but I want you to answer the question. Oh, cool. Well, I'd love to hear your insights, but um, the answer is uh, so two things. One, one of the things we've learned about 
Instagram and trying to understand this like ever evolving algorithm is that they like when you're doing the new stuff and they like when you, so like everything They're going to reward people for, for spotlighting the new features. Exactly. Yeah. So the algorithms will push your content if you're using their new features. Yep. So if you want to get out in front of more people, use the new tools. Exactly. So what are what are the best practices with using Reels? What are you guys? What, do you, what kind of content? Are you well, using? so the other thing that we the, the reason we were actually drawn towards it is because um, we were seeing a lot of like really cool food content that was a little bit more highly produced, a little bit slicker than just like a you know longer form video that you might chop up on stories or Instagram Live or a static post or whatever you know in your in your feed. And we were just really drawn from a creative standpoint to like, you know, these quick little clips where you could demonstrate something that's going on in the kitchen, either in the restaurant or in my case at home, um, do a little cocktail demo, whatever else. And so we just, you know, we were drawn to the, to the like creative format. Gotcha. Um, I think that that pretty much sums up what I've understand from why reels are important right yeah. now and kind of to take a few steps back. The reason again, why we're talking about this again, what are you doing to evolve in the new landscape? Yep. And if you were a brand that relied heavily on indoor or in house experience, like you have heavily relied on being a full service, casual, fun environment, beautiful aesthetic, you lost that connection yes. with your guests during COVID-19. What you did best, you could no longer do. So a lot of brands like yourself had to redirect that energy yes. into a more digital presence. And this, 100%. Is how, this is the technique you're using to summarize. Up yes, to this point. exactly. Um, I love it. Um, there is one tool that came to mind and um, I'm on clubhouse now. Have you been, have you guys been exploring clubhouse at all? No. Do you know what clubhouse is? No, tell is? me about clubhouse now. Okay. So it's supposedly like the latest new cool thing and okay. it's kind of like podcasting, but and it's audio only and it can't, you can't record it. Yep. I mean, there's ways, there's workarounds with using like software in your phone to record it. Yeah. Um, but once you, once the clubhouse, like once the room is, is done, like that audio is gone, but you invite people within your network to join a conversation. Hmm. Um, but it's like just taking off right now. Cool. And I, I was listening today, a marketing this morning before coming over here, mm-hmm. um, with reels, there's a cool tool tool and it's escaping me and it's on my phone right now, which is yeah. being used to record. So I can't yeah, look yeah. it up, but it's like Insta something and I'll, I'll share it in the, the closing thoughts and Jared, if you're listening to this editing, it, remind me to share it in the closing thoughts. Yeah. I want to make sure. So stick around to the closing thoughts to hear about that. Um, but yeah, it's um, cool. Nice. And well, so yet another social network, I have to go out there and research and understand and then figure out how to yeah, plug man. content into. And I think this is kind nice. of like another, you're bringing up a good point. And I feel like there's almost like a sickness, like a virus that's not COVID-19 <laughs> that's injecting society right now. And it's just like all this, focus on doing all these we have to do all these things we have to do these things yeah you know what are we like what's the what's the result what's what are we blind to right now is one of the things i'm kind of curious about where everybody where we're, everybody's being told you got to post as much as possible and but they don't they forget to mention that you have to sit down and tag 30 people in those posts i know and are you doing all this tagging yourself? Are I you mean, just dude, it's another content? great example of, I mean, you just gave me anxiety that just me like too. a spike of anxiety. that's shot through my spine because I realized like I've been, should have been doing like, it's on the list of things like a best practice to like, you know, and I keep forgetting to do it. It's like, there's so much to keep track of. It's maddening. And that's kind of the point I'm trying to make in like, do we have some type of social responsibility to like kind of push back on what's expected from us to do social media? Right. Cause is, is social media, this tool that's supposed to bring us closer together. 
really just pushing us further apart because we're always in our phone tagging, sharing, doing this stuff, trying to project this brand. You know, I don't know. That's a big question. I don't know if I'm like qualified to answer it, but what I can tell you is that, you know, we've obviously, I mean, we were planning on trying to get better at this before COVID because of COVID, as you mentioned, we are all relying on digital channels a little bit more and there are probably pros and cons to that. And, you know, but what I do think is that, you know, in our industry, like our industry is going to bounce back. Yeah. We're going to be opening up restaurants in, you know, in some capacity. I mean, we already are and in, in, you know, hopefully greater capacity sooner rather than later. And, you know, people are going to have a fundamental need and, you know, desire to come you yeah. know, be around other people in a restaurant. So, and, Put Sorry. their phones down. Yeah. So going forward, is there any operational changes? We can get off that topic. <laughs> Are there any operational changes that you've pivoted within your organization to better receive the new normal? Um, a lot of, you know, sort of safety, um, you know, safety procedures and processes, systems, that kind of thing. Okay. So, um, I mean, you're sitting in the restaurant right now, so you'll see, you know, plexiglass dividers. Yeah. You could see the tables are spread out further than they were mm-hmm. a year ago. Um, everyone, I mean, all the obvious, everyone of course has masks on. There's like, you know, there's just a long list of is, I mean, is that the question? Like a long list of like, you know, sort of procedures. Well, I think that that stuff, um, my fingers are cross across that. Yeah. Like there's not going to be plastic dividers right. in restaurants beyond in 2022. Yeah. Hopefully God, oh, right. please. Right. Um, but like as far as, okay. So, Beyond that. Yeah. So you got to make changes in your business, like better uh, being, I mean, I, I don't know what your takeout game was before COVID-19. I don't know what yeah. your delivery game was before COVID-19, but there's a lot of people are, that are saying that they were creating new habits within people yeah. and they're going to be more likely in the, you know, the, in, in a year from now to, to, there's not going to be as much resistance to use these other channels because it was their only option sure. for the past few years. So I think that, um, you know, for us, for a full, so for, for a fast casual restaurant, I think you probably, a greater share of their sales pie will probably be made up of off-premise. Yeah. For, I, 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 I hope that for us, you know, we've invested a lot in growing the off-premise business over the last several months as well. My hope is that that's, you know, increases the size of the pie. Yes. And that, you know, what a, one of the things that's like, I mean, part of what's key to our brand and, you know, what people like about Mexico is that you come in with friends and family, eat and drink. The music is loud. People are, you know, waiters are yeah. being themselves, wearing, the, you know, there's an experience here that is not the same as the one that you have when you get yeah. tacos to go. Yeah. Um, so what were some of those assets you invested in to increase or to improve those channels of ordering, communication, engagement, profitability? So like from an off-premise perspective? Yeah. Like what, did you change your POS? You yeah. Yeah. Well, that? we actually did a whole, we actually did a whole revamp of our whole like kind of tech stack and, um, that's what I'm looking for. Oh, cool. Operations. So what, yeah. did, what were the changes you made? And just like aerial view, we don't need to dissect this. Well, so yeah, so these were some of them were, um, so I'll just tell you about the changes in general. Some of them were, you know, well before COVID and some of them during, but we, um, we shifted to toast. Okay. Um, so new POS from Aloha and, um, that was a really good change. We were really happy with that. Um, I think one of the like COVID related changes related to that is, um, we, um, you know, they have a lot of like, kind of like, you know, order and pay remotely or, or, or you know, without using a traditional menu or without a server necessarily. Yeah. And so we may or may not be tapping into some of those things 
down the road. Got you. And uh, Toast is an affiliate of mine. So if you guys are interested in Toast, I'm no longer offering the $1,000 cash back deal that I'm sending because my, my commission has changed. So I can't, I wouldn't make any money basically now if I did that. But if you are interested in Toast and you want to support the show, please use my links and uh, make sure you email me personally. And I know what, shoot, even if you email me personally, I'll still send you a check for $500 because you guys need it just as bad as I do. There you go, guys. So use my links. Please, pretty please, you're you're supporting the show. Um, All right. So this is a question I ask all my guests before going into the speed round. Uh, We're almost wrapped up, but... uh, the mission statement, again, is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. How have you transformed in the past 11 years since starting your your concept? I mean, in so many ways, it's hard to, like, sum up. But um, you know, I, I guess the, the thing that comes to mind is, is kind of where we started, which is just with the team. And so it's not, you know, that's, I guess, been consistent. So in a way, it's like the not at all the the answer to the question, but um, we've just continued to put focus and emphasis on building the team yeah. and valuing the team yeah. and making sure that they feel that they're well compensated and well taken care of. Yeah. And I think I love that. And a lot of people say, this isn't the food business. This is the experience business. Right. And I would say this isn't the food business or the, the experience business. This is the developing and farming of people business. Exactly. And like if when you, once you figure that out, once you know your job is to create the, the the future of people and the replacements of yourself like that's when things start to change it yep. sounds like you guys figure that out i mean we've i mean that's where you know so it's been somewhat consistent but we've just gotten better and realized over time like how important that is and yeah, yeah. i love it uh, great conversation we're gonna take one more quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back to bust out a true speed round Bbot is the next generation of point of sale. That's because it's mobile, in your pocket, fast, and it's so easy for your guests to use. Here's how it works. Using near-field communication or QR technology, the guest touches their phone to the location marker, which automatically pulls up your menu. Then the guest selects their order, pays, and tips all directly from their phone. The order gets shot to the kitchen or bar. It's that simple. And one of the things I love about Bbot is that it makes the ordering process process so much more efficient, meaning your guest will get more time with their server, which means they'll be happier, which means your servers are going to get better tips, which means everybody wins. You win, your guests win, and your servers win. Not to mention, it's contactless. It's branded to your restaurant. There's zero commission fees. You can use this technology through takeout, delivery, and dine-in, and it integrates with your POS. Bbot, the contactless order and pay solution powering the future of hospitality. To learn more, go to www.bbot.menu slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, you'll get your first three months free. That's www.bbot.menu slash unstoppable. I started this podcast because I have a passion for serving people in the restaurant industry because they have a passion for bringing people together with the ultimate love language, their cooking. But with all that cooking comes great, giant, greasy piles of pots and pans, and we can't waste our valuable time with endless sink changeovers, so we must upgrade to Don Professional Pot and Pan. Don Professional Pot and Pan cleans 58% more pots and pans than the leading competitor. 
less dish soap, fewer changeovers, and more time doing what we love, bringing people together with the ultimate love language, food. Not to mention, Procter & Gamble Professional also provides a wide range of disinfectants for your business needs. Get the cleaning disinfecting products you need and the peace of mind you deserve. Dawn Professional, it's clean, upgraded. We're back, and the first question I have for you is, what is your it? Factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success. Empathy. What is your biggest weakness? Operations. What is one question you ask or thing you look for in the interview process when you are farming and growing your team? What's your favorite food? Ooh, what are you looking for? Passion about their favorite food. What is your biggest challenge today? Finding exciting real estate. What is one code of conduct or behavior that you teach your team? This is a core value, a way to be, a way to act. Just simply trading people well. I love it. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So this is something that's common within the four walls of your business, but not common throughout the industry. Don't be scripted, which maybe you know isn't too unique, but... To, to a growing concept that's maybe yeah. unique. I hear a lot. Of, it's framing. It's like be yourself within these parameters. Like yeah. You got to touch on these things, Smart. but do it however you want. That's your rendition of those things. Um, what is one book that's a must read that makes us a better person or restaurant owner? Oh, gosh. I mean, the one that's coming to, to mind is probably one you get all the time, but it's setting the table. But I'm sure I have better ones, so... I don't it know. It is a common I book. I may come back to you It is a great one. book, but yeah. yeah. And uh, that one is on Audible. Danny Meyer, Setting the Table, is on Audible. Uh, and if you guys are not using Audible, do you use Audible? Are you an audio mm-hmm. book listener? Yeah. Game changer. Yeah, yeah. It's is great. it not? Yeah, yeah. No, I love it. Audibletrial.com slash yeah. unstoppable. Uh, you're supporting the show when you're using that link. But more importantly, you're supporting yourself because we don't have the time and energy to sit down and read. But with auto with audiobooks, you can be in your business working and learning It's so powerful. It's a game changer. Uh, Name one service you've outsourced or hired. So this isn't necessarily a technology or a tool, but a person that does something really well that you're going to for their expertise to coach you in your business or to to help you execute in your business. Finance accounting. Okay. And who is that? Uh, We have a firm called Okra that we work with in Denver, based in Denver. Uh, shout out to Okra. And mm-hmm. the whole purpose of this question is to help good people connect with good people. So cool. thank you. Cool. Uh, what is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? Focus on systems and processes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, and what is one technology that you've recently adopted um, that has had a huge impact on communication, efficient, efficient, efficiency, profitability, anything along those lines that you want to share with us? I'll give a shout out to Lunchbox in this one. They're like, we started using them for online ordering and they've been, um, new company growing fast. And, uh, you know, we've, yeah, that's been good timing to be launching with them. And I also noticed you use Zenreach and Bento Box. I love Zenreach. Okay. And, um, yeah. And I'm a fan of Bento Box too. Yeah. So real quick, why Zenreach? Um, one of our, goals was capturing more guest data and being able to communicate with them and they helped with that goal awesome and uh, bento box has been getting a ton of love past sponsor in the show as well so 
website development. Yep. Great tool. Exactly. Um, all right. And this is the last question, man. You've cool. been doing great. Uh, the last question is if you got the news, it's a doozy. So get ready for it. Okay. <laughs> if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work and your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and your legacy. What would they be? Three pieces of wisdom. To leave and it, what helps people with this question is imagine you're leaving this wisdom back to, behind to your, your kids. What would you want them to know? I know I'm a jerk. This is a hard I know question. you're such a jerk. <laughs> I mean, slow down, enjoy it. And you know, enjoy the time you have with, you know, the people who are physically around you. That's one. That's three wrapped in one. Okay, I'll take it. <laughs> awesome job, man. Now, we wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. That's how I find the majority of my guests. Cool. Uh, who do you respect and admire and would absolutely listen to the episode if you found out there were guests on the show tomorrow? Uh, so a guy that has been kind of a mentor to me in this industry is Adam Rosenbaum, who is the CEO currently of Meatball Shop and would be way more interesting to to listen to on this podcast i am aware of adam i have not got him on the show yet i would love to make that happen thank you for calling him out and if we want to come join your team or maybe we have i don't know a question for you or whatever what's the best way to connect um either uh either instagram or email tk at mexico.com beautiful and uh, stick around to the end of today's episode i'm not sure what episode number this is going to be i'll have the episode number there for you so you can easily find this episode just go to restaurantstoppable.com slash episode number and you'll we'll link to all the tools services and how to connect with thomas over there and i just can't say thank you enough thomas for taking the time and energy to share your story your knowledge and your mentorship there is no questioning my man you are unstoppable Thanks, man. It's been great to be here. Thank you. Cheers. There we go. Another episode wrapped up here. Thanks again to our guest, Thomas Kelly, for joining us. Some really great lessons garnered from today's episode. I love this idea of having two passions. I think you you absolutely need a passion for food in the restaurant industry, but there's got to be something else, I think, to make it in this industry. And for Thomas, that's marketing. And there's some really great advice today around branding, what a brand needs, uh, great advice on leadership, um, you know, leading with respect uh, and extracting creativity out of your team. I love that mentality, too, of, of giving your t- team uh, that sense of autonomy and that sense of being able and knowing that they can contribute in a, a, a meaningful way is, is super important. So awesome stuff came out of today's conversation. I have a lot of calls to action for you today, guys. So I mentioned to you in the network, we have a lot of really cool things going on. So um, today, when this episode goes live, March 8th, 2021 at 3 p.m., Rudy Mick is joining us live in the network to record a workshop on all the costing secrets nobody ever taught you. This is actually the second time we're hosting this workshop. It was such a hit the first time around. We figured we would uh, record it a second time. And uh, a little teaser here, um, we're going to be developing a course um, around this subject as well. Uh, we, we have another workshop on Wednesday, actually two workshops on Wednesday of this week. Amanda Robinson joining us to talk about Facebook ad tools and uh, the tools you're not using and should be. And we also have Andre Smith joining us to talk about Google marketing secrets. I mentioned we were launching two courses in April. So starting April 1st, the first week of April, we're going to be running two courses. The first course is going to be Unstoppable Delivery with Scott Landers. And we're also going to be hosting 
Rudy Mick. Like I mentioned, we're going to do a, a food costing and profit 101 course. So these courses are going to be hosted live in the network, meaning you can join us like in person live and we're going to record these courses uh, and they're going to be for purchase later on in the future uh, hosted in restaurant unstoppable network but if you want to join us live here's what you got to do head over to restaurant unstoppable.com slash 784 we'll have a link right there for you to join the network and if you want to be on the waiting list for these courses head over to restaurant unstoppable.com slash courses and you can get on the course uh list and you can stay up to breast with what's going on with the courses uh so those are your two calls to action one more time head over to restaurant unstoppable.com slash 784 to join the network and i'll get a link in the show notes for a 30-day trial if you go to that link and then also if you want to get on the courses waiting list head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash courses and stay up to date with all the courses we're going to be hosting live within the network you can come hang out with me and my experts my mentors what are you waiting for all right that's it for today until next time peace out